everybody, welcome to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I'm the host and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members hub for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. If you haven't downloaded my working paper, Property Investment and COVID-19 in the UK, you are going to need to do that because that's got strategies for helping you with your property portfolios during these tough times. And I am updating it on a regular basis as things change. You need to go to ncrealestatemembersclub.com forward slash COVID-19. It's free. I'm not asking you for your email address, but if you want those strategies, I have just been putting together as much information in there as I possibly can so that you are supported and you know what to do in these times because I get it. There is a lot of panic. There is a lot of chaos. You are probably feeling like what on earth is going on? And it's completely fine to be feeling like that. But what I want you to do is go and download that free PDF because it gives you some real tangible action steps that you can take, which is going to support you through this period. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, I am so excited. I've got Dr. Jan Wilcox with me. She's a fellow of the RICS and a senior fellow of the Higher Education Academy, has 20 years experience working in asset management, is the co-author of Property Asset Management, which for those of you who were asking me the other day what book I had on my desk and I showed it to you, um, it was that book. You remember the red one with the grayed out buildings on the front? She's a property investor, is a lecturer for Suffolk Business School, an examiner for the Institute of Residential Property Management, and sits on the regulatory board of the Association for Residential Managing Agents, and we're also colleagues at UCM. Hi, Jan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Natasha. I've just been making a note of your paper because I think I might need to have a quick look at that. Yeah, do. (laughs) (laughs) The the link's going to go in the show notes under this podcast and I'll send you the link as well. Perfect. Thank you. How are you doing in the midst of all of this chaos? Yes, it's it's strange times. I mean, I think I imagine it will say this in your paper, but I have been in touch with my tenants saying, just please let me know if you're going to have trouble paying the rent, please get in touch because... um, to my mind, if I know, then I can prepare. If it just doesn't turn up in my account, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with all of the help and support that tenants are getting at the moment, there should be enough of a buffer for them to at least be paying something. Mm-hmm. And if you can keep tenants going, I'm sure you know that. I, I mean, with the amount of commercial tenants over the years, I've had to keep paying on the drip. <laughs> you know? yeah. Give me £50, at least something. Let's get these arrears down we can do that as landlords we'll get through it it's just yeah frustrating but it is what it is it's not just us it's everybody absolutely unprecedented times as they keep saying unprecedented but if we're resilient (laughs) hopefully we We get we have to be resilient um so good having you here it's nice doing these podcasts because um we're on camera we're talking to each other we're having a catch-up so should we go back to the beginning how did you get started in the property industry because you've achieved so much uh totally by accident uh and I don't imagine I'm the first person to say that um basically I came back I did A levels everybody at my highly academic school went to university and I decided not to just to mess up their figures a bit childish 
Um, went abroad, traveled a bit, um, came back to England, had no money, did a typing course. Uh, and then I ended up working for an estate agent. Oh no, sorry, I ended up working for the health authority when they were disposing of property. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing the typing and I saw the massive fees that agents were getting for selling um, surplus property, um, health authority property. And thought, oh, wow, there's a lot of money in property. So my next move was into an estate agent. Um, and then I qualified. I did a part where well, I started doing the old um, RICS exams. Uh, but when only four out of 40 of us passed, I decided to go on to a degree instead and then did my degree and then um, just kind of, yeah, carried on with it, really. I, I always knew I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I couldn't bear to do a job that meant I'd be sitting in an office every day. So that was a big attraction of property for me. Mm-hmm. And actually, a lot of I mean, I don't know if a lot of your students think it, but a lot of when I'm talking to students, they're like, well, it's corporate. We sat in the office nine till five. It's, it's not true. What does what does a day in the life for you look like? Uh, well, right now, <laughs> different to what it did a while ago. Uh, no, I mean, I, for me, I'm very lucky now because I have a, a portfolio of jobs and it means I can, to an extent, pick and choose what I do. I do have certain deadlines, but no day is the same. Um, every day includes uh, time for me to exercise pretty much, which is a real you know, benefit. Um, but no, it varies. You know, at the bottom end of the scale, it will be te- uh, cleaning out a block drain because the tenants have been putting baby wipes down it mm-hmm. that's probably about the pits of it um at the top end I don't know I'm not sure what my favorite bit of it is really uh I guess it's it's the people um the combination of people that I deal with is, is the best bit of what I do but no day is the same mm-hmm. well it wasn't up until now <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a bit we're going to be talking about property management strategy because I think it's one of the things that as a property investor, um, and a lot of the property investors that are listening, I, we talk about finance, we talk about finding properties, we talk about getting tenants in. And for a lot of people, that's where it stops. And I'm very passionate about property management and asset management and that side of things. Um, and I know you are too. So I want to talk about why is a strong property management strategy so important? Why should landlords look further than just getting tenants in? Uh, Well, I think it's interesting that you should ask this because one of the things I teach that it's not property related is strategic management. And I was trying to explain to my undergrads that, you know, you have to have a strategy. And they said, well, you know, really tiny companies with just the owner, they don't have to have a strategy. And I said, well, of course they do, because otherwise you can't measure whether whether what you're doing is working. And I think for property management, Um, I think it has to go beyond just getting a tenant in um, and making sure they're paying rent. The thing about property that I've found uh, in my experience is that if you don't keep a very close eye on it, well, first of all, you need your your strategy at the outset. And mine was just to build a portfolio to give me a little bit more flexibility work-wise because the portfolio brought in my kind of bread and butter. And then I could go and do the work I chose to do rather than the work I had to do. Um, And what I found is that if you know what you want to do for me it was definitely a long-term hold and I was just going to build it up slowly which is what I have done um but you need to decide are you going to invest in the property if you're holding it long term so obviously for me I was 
Um, are you trying to get high rental income and kind of almost bleed the property dry or are you going to balance rental income and capital growth uh, in value? Um, and I think the other thing is checking, I, I think my underlying strategy, it sounds really kind of a bit, um, can't think of the word, it sounds a little unrealistic, but for me, it's all about, are you keeping your tenants happy? And that's mm -hmm. my ultimate strategy is keeping them happy and being fair. And what I've discovered is if you keep in touch with them, um, you can avoid having lengthy voids. And that for me is the key, because as you know, an extended void just completely wrecks your strategy, your income, your plans. So um, it's been very much about building relationships with them and not going for the highest rent and not going for the first tenant who comes along, but actually trying to choose somebody that you can maintain a relationship with. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the other thing about the strategy is property can deteriorate so fast. So I think you have to be very clear that you've got to go frequently and check what they're doing. Um, yeah, I think those are my two things. Did that? I'm not sure that answered it very well, Natasha. Please tell me if it didn't. No, it, it did because you're, and everybody's strategy is going to be different, but you're saying that actually if you focus on the people and the people are essentially clients of yours, that you build up the trust like we all hope to do in business. and that encourages them to stay with you because they know that you're dependable. How often do you get in contact with your tenants? Well, it depends on how long I've had them. I mean, my uh, longest standing tenants, and some people might think this is going a bit far, but they moved in um, as a couple for the first time living together. Um, they then got married, uh, they then had a baby. And when they had a baby, I took them around a baby gift. Um, so I've now had them, I had them seven years in my first property and I've had them for three years in the property I moved them into. So 10 years we've been together with them. I don't go every quarter because our relationship is such that if they have an issue, they'll ring me up and I'll go around um, with my ones that I don't know so well. And I do go quarterly. Okay. Um, and do they keep, how do they contact you? Are they email, text? Yeah, it's always email. Because I teach a lot, I'm not available on the phone. So they always just email me and say, whatever it is that they've got an issue with mm -hmm. and and they're also I think because we have that good relationship the tenants I don't know well expect a reaction just like that whereas mm -hmm. the, these ones that know me well understand that I may be teaching all day or I may be dealing with something with the children so I can't respond immediately and they they're very good every time they email they say well this is a problem we understand you're busy just let us know when you can get to it which takes away such a lot of the stress yes. of property management and then it's the trust as well, isn't it? They trust that even yeah. though you might not respond immediately, you're going to do something about it. Exactly, yeah. And that's a strategy in itself. If you follow through on what you say you're going to do, people who don't, that's where it's, yeah, it starts yeah. getting iffy. So what do you think the key things an investor should be aware of when putting together a property management strategy? I think you'd have to work out what your core objective is. What is it you're after? For me, I mean, my ultimate strategy, the reason that I got into investing in property, apart from I thought I knew more about that than investing in the stock market, was that I have two children and uh, the way things are now, there was no way they were ever going to be able to buy a house um, mm -hmm. unless they became fund managers or something. So I thought, I just want to make sure I've got two completely paid up houses so that when the time comes they have somewhere to live without the stress of I must earn lots of money um, but then I think you need to work out do you want to achieve a yield do you want to achieve um, a capital return 
do you want to keep your properties fully let? Do you want to do them up, put a tenant in, sell them on? Uh, is it a long-term hold? Is it a trade-on? So I think you, you just need to think, what is your core objective? And for me, it was this long-term hold that I wanted two of them to be completely mortgage-free so that my two girls would have somewhere to live in years to come. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess this kind of thing of keeping the tenants happy has been a part of that because although I knew it, I dealt with big commercial properties, I know how bad voids are, but it's a lot less personal when you're dealing with other people's money, isn't it, than when you're dealing with your yes. own. Yeah. So, yeah, the overriding thing is building that relationship to get voids as, as minimal as possible. And it's not just the tenants, it's also, as you know, a relationship with your building team that you can get them in quickly, get it refurbed and get them out if you do get a bit of tenant turnover. Mm-hmm. Can I ask then, did you buy your investments using a mortgage and have paid down on that? My first one I bought with cash because uh, I sold my flat in London mm -hmm. um, that I'd lived in and then rented out. Um, and I was that lucky generation whereby, well, my first house I bought at 20, that doubled in value. My flat in London in the space of, I don't know, was it as long as 10 years? Maybe not. Tri tripled in value. Wow. So I was able to um, just buy the first one with cash. And actually the second one I then saved up for and also bought with cash. Now, as an investor, that's not a particularly good idea in terms of yield. But for me, it meant I immediately had two that were um, mortgage-free. Mm -hmm. So I'd achieved my overall objective, which was a house for the girls. Mm -hmm. Going forward, I'm now debating, do I want to borrow money and carry on expanding it? Or do I just settle? And I'm not sure of the answer to that yet in, in the current market. <laughs> yeah. There could be some really interesting opportunities exactly coming up yeah um so how does understanding how to manage your property portfolio give you the upper hand for long-term planning well to my mind it's all about budgeting um you know when you've got major expenditure coming up you know when you've got voids coming up uh you know what the level of rents are now and in the future um, and, you know, I gave the example of my tenants. Well, when they had a baby, uh, I assumed, which is maybe a bit of a rash assumption, that they might be wanting to have another baby because that's often what people do. And they were very tight in that space. So as soon as they'd had the baby and I'd given them the present, I said, so what are your plans? And they said, well, you know, we do need to move to somewhere bigger. And I said, well, perfect. I have one not far away. My tenants are leaving in five months time. Come and have a look, see if that will work. Um, so I think that's the, the sort of planning of, looking ahead rather than oh they're fine they're paying rent just leave them to it it was planning ahead to see if I could hang on to them and um, obviously they have stayed um, and I don't think number two is on the way yet but I believe it is in the planning mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so are you looking after your property yourself you have you got managing agents a bit of both. Uh, the one, obviously, these guys that I've had for a very long time, I manage that myself because I know them. I know what's required. I know that they're happy to wait. Um, the other property, which is a, a sort of starter home, it's a, a two bed, um, fairly small, fairly close to the town centre. Uh, I used agents to get tenants for it. And because the tenants there, other than these ones who lasted seven years, they only tend to last two or three years and then move on. Um, and I can't respond quickly enough because of the rest of my work. So I am mm -hmm. using the agents on that one. The, the one that my tenants um, of 10 years have been in is, is five minutes walk from home. So that's fine. The other one is a 15 minute drive and it's just not convenient. So I do use agents for that one. Mm -hmm. And so 
do you feel do you feel that it's important to understand what you need to do as a property manager even if you're if you're not doing it yourself because one of the big things I come across is landlords not having a clue what their obligations are do you think it's important that they have some sort of knowledge and understand what they need to do so that they can manage their team properly Oh, God, yes. I mean, the, the thing that springs to mind, um, if I kindly mentioned my book earlier, and, uh, <laughs> the thing that springs to mind that I put in the book there is what, what has to be done before a tenant moves in. Mm-hmm. And I had a managing agent who um, did not seem to be aware that he had to have. He knew about the gas safety. He didn't know about the um, right to rent, uh, you know, guide to rent that had to be with the tenants. And I mean, yes, uh, didn't use that one. Um, I have used one that did know. But I think that kind of thing is what a, a standard investor just doesn't know about. Um, the rules with regard to smoke alarms, that sort of thing. And, and, and also having um, the ones I know well is fine. I've made it so that their gas safety fits with when I have my boiler service. But the other property is just another hassle. So the managing agents take full responsibility for making sure that's done yearly. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And just making sure that they keep notes of everything. That's that's one thing that a lot of people come to me and they say, well, I just leave it to the managing agent. Make sure they record it and send it across to you because otherwise, if you ever... Yeah. And, and record it properly. I mean, that's another thing that's in my book. That there's this thing that they can record on their phones and, and I've got a picture of it in the book and it says um, condition of property and the drop-down menu says good. You know useless good is the useless descriptor what do you mean good your kind of good my kind of good um so I did pick up on that there but um, I mean you're laughing because you know it's ridiculous I know it's ridiculous but but that is a package that's sold so your agent can go around and say yeah the condition's good useless fabulous (laughs) (laughs) thanks for that which part (laughs) Yeah. Did you look at the roof? Have you looked at the outsides? Is there water coming through? And what do you mean by good? Yeah, what would, yeah. My gosh, excellent. You'd be hoping for every time, right? Uh, I would. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not okay with good. No, nor me. <laughs> so it's important to always look at adding value to your property. Why and how does this impact its capital value? Because again, this isn't a consideration that a lot of property investors think about. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a real focus. I find it interesting when I'm looking, you know, through at things that I might like to buy, that they always just quote um, gross uh, yield. And actually, I don't know about you, but I think they're normally totally unrepresentative. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I never look at gross yield personally. I when I measure mine, I look at net yield because I think gross yield is totally meaningless. Um, and and it was interesting when you said you wanted me to come on the podcast. I had a little look back at the history of my properties, and just out of interest, um, my net yield tends to be between four and a half and five percent every mm-hmm. year. It doesn't sound that exciting, but it's pretty good for That's a net. Good, yield. yeah. Compared to how my share portfolio has done over the past <laughs> few weeks. Um, and my worst year uh, for both, because I did a major refurb on both when I moved the tenants from one property to another, um, it was a negative uh, yield of just over 5% on both properties. Mm-hmm. However, picking up on your point of capital improvements, I put brand new kitchens in both, managed to get rid of 
um, some unnecessary bits which gave me a bigger floor area. Um, so I spent quite a lot of money on it, but the capital values of both went up by over 10%. So it didn't really matter that my yield was a negative of five because the capital value had gone up that much. And, and I think, as you know, it's not just about improving the capital value, but it's about the quality of tenant you get in then, because if you're not spending on it, if it's looking a bit rapey, you're going to get a fairly rapey tenant. The tenant is directly related. The quality of tenants directly related to what you're offering them. Mm. In my, I agree. And the quality of tenant is important for every type of property as well. We look at it when we're doing residential, but commercial is even more important having a good quality tenant. Although the quality of a tenant is going to change over the next couple of months, depending on who weathers the storm. Gosh, yes. I was talking to my students about, you know, how to value something. And they were saying, you know, what's the value of it going to be as a result of this? And I said, well, does it even have a value at the moment? If we go back to market value as being a willing buyer and a willing seller, I'm not actually sure they exist right now because <laughs> no one can go and look at anything. That There is no such thing. So arguably taking it to the ultimate degree, nothing has a value right now. Mm, a bit it- controversial. <laughs> controversial but true and especially because lenders won't lend on things either they're not looking at new things they can't get surveyors out to value and they're saying well what happens if the market drops as a result of this we're not going to lend at full value anyway or whatever full value was yeah and they can't lend because people's um, income is so insecure or many people's income is so insecure we're not quite sure what's happening about it so yeah I, I when I said it, my students said, well, that's a bit controversial. But I thought, well, I, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Things not have a market value right now. So I'm glad I'm not a valuer. <laughs> no, I know. You'd want to be putting those COVID-19 <laughs> clauses in, wouldn't you? Absolutely right. <laughs> you were talking a bit about measuring the performance of your properties. Mm. And a lot of investors forget to track how their property portfolio is performing, especially if they only have one or two properties. Why should we be doing this and what indicators should we be tracking? Well, I think the reason we have to do it is because we've got to look at the opportunity cost of what else could we be doing with our money, ultimately. Um, And as I say, I feel very comfortable right now that I have some of my wealth in property, um, as I've just watched my value of my share portfolio (laughs) dive over the past few weeks. Um, So I think it is the opportunity cost. Are you right to be in property? Um, And I think, as I say, people seem to focus on yield, but I tend to look at both. I do measure yield just to check that it's in the right kind of ballpark. But you also need to readdress what is the capital value. Obviously, you need that to calculate your yield. But it's are you increasing capital value year on year? And one of mine that I bought um, and you said earlier about opportunities, and I think property investment is so opportunistic. And this was a property I saw, um, which I always bore my students with, but I saw it was on the market at 150 um, and it was in the right place. It was the right thing, but it was overpriced. And then um, the vendor let it. And unfortunately, they let it to tenants who they weren't keeping an eye on, who made it into a cannabis farm. So I just kept watching this property to see what was happening. Big police raid. And I don't know whether you I'm sure this is outside of your experience, Natasha, but they carve holes in the ceiling for the big lights to grow the cannabis and that was how it got spotted from a helicopter because it was so hot so I then went and looked at it and they dropped the price to 120 because it had been a bit trashed by the drug dealers um and uh, I thought it was still too much money I knew what it was worth me paying because I knew what it would cost me to refurb it Mm -hmm. and uh then I went around with the agent and I said you know I'll pay um 110 for it 
And he said, oh, no, you're too late. I've got somebody who wants it. And I said, do they need a mortgage? And he said, yes. And I said, OK, I'll tell you what, my 110 is on the table for six months, after which time it will be withdrawn. When he can't get a mortgage, you come back and have a word. So I eventually got it for 107 and a half. I can't remember what I knocked the extra two and a half off for. Cost me 20,000 to refurbish it. So immediately I'd made a capital gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just watching. I, I knew the market, which I guess is another kind of top tip, isn't it? Know what it's worth. I knew what it would rent for. I knew what my builders were going to charge to do it. I knew my builders had a slot that they could fit in this job um, because I knew exactly what needed doing. Um, and, and, and it worked. Um, and, and I think that's the kind of opportunistic nature of it. And that's the working out the return, knowing, knowing your values, rental values, capital values, and knowing what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question or did I waffle on a bit there? No, Sorry. that completely answered my oh, question. Cannabis farms are far too uh, regular as well. <laughs> Landlords have no idea what to do about it when it happens. So if you could, amazing that you saw that and kept an eye on it. Well, I saw the police raid <laughs> going on, but um, and it was a tiny house. You normally think it's a big house, but it's only a two to three bedroom house, you know, little Ooh. semi. I was amazed that they picked on that, but there we are. Worked for me. Could you give us an overview on the difference between yield and return and why are both so important to track? Okay, well, uh, yield straightforward yield is basically what you're gaining from your what you're achieving from your investment so you know if your property is costing you um 200,000 and you're getting a rent of 10,000 per annum you're getting a five percent yield simple return and I suppose one other way of differentiating is yield you often talk about yield in terms of predicting the future whereas return is historic this is what we have achieved I think we talk about it like that Um, And return, I think there is a tendency to focus on rental return, which is what yield is. But return is, in investment terms, the gain or loss over the period. But I think we, as investors, need to be very clear about the difference between our rental return and our capital return, because you've got to take both into account. You can't just, although it may seem as if your property is not doing very well because mine averages four and a half to five percent yield rental yield or rental return um if i add in the capital value the one i was telling you about the the drug dealers one um that's doubled in value since oh gosh i can't remember when i bought it now um i don't know five six years doubled in value um or slightly less than doubled i suppose because i spent 20 doing it up but not far off doubled in value wow so you know, maybe I've only got a four and a half percent rental return and one year of negative. Um, actually, I suppose I spent a bit more refurbing it, but the capital return has been very good, very comfortable. Mm. So it's important to track both, right? I think you have to. And, and, and the other thing that I should mention, I suppose, is that you need to track it and you also need to take into account how much time it's taking to do, because this was what you asked earlier about why do I manage one and put one out? Because mm the time it was taking to manage the one that was a little distance away from me and the stress, you know, that feeling, I'm sure you've been through this, you know, Friday night, had a couple of glasses of wine, pick up your phone just to check everything's okay. And you've got them, my boiler's broken, I've got no central heating and they've got a baby and it just totally ruins your evening and your weekend. Um, So I think you need to factor in how much time, how much stress is it? And actually, for me, it was worth paying whatever I pay the agents, not enough, probably, <laughs> um, for managing it for me. Mm. 
I think that's got to be factored in as well as the yield, as well as the rental return and capital return. You've also got to factor in how long, how much stress and how much time is it taking you to achieve that? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I hate Friday night calls or Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good one. What can you do? Nothing on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Well, I I do have a plumber actually, and bless him, he's come out at ten o'clock on a Friday night because if they've got a young baby and no heating, you know, I I don't know what other people do, but I couldn't just Mm -mm. sit there quite happily drinking my wine if I knew that they were in that state. No, and it's it's the guilt as well that you're not doing something quick enough. It's probably Mm. why I find property management all-consuming. I'm glad I don't do it as much as I used to on a daily basis. But it's different though, isn't it? I mean, you I know your background is commercial property and, and I always said I'd never do residential, so I'm not quite sure what happened because commercial is far more practical, but residential, it can't help but have an element of emotion in it because it's people's lives, whereas commercial is not people's lives. Mm-hmm. That's that's really true. And and the thing is, as well, landlords. When I when I started on a commercial property management, everything's like it's fine. It's a commercial property portfolio, but inevitably you have the residential elements with it as well. And they were the people who always need the most looking after. But that's your home. A business is a business premises, and mm. that's that's why you have to put these systems in place so that you've got good people to come out and look after them. Absolutely. So final question, what are the best tips of advice you could give an investor learning about property management for the first time? Well, I just talked about the sort of practical versus emotional. Now I'm going to kind of contradict myself <laughs> and say you have to be practical rather than emotional. Certainly when you're looking at buying properties, don't look at it in terms of, oh, I could live here and, you know, that'd be a nice garden or whatever. It has to be practical. Is this going to make the rent that you need? Are you going to be able to add value to it? Mm -hmm. Um, So try and take emotion out of it, I think. Um, I think you have to be absolutely ruthless with your budget. Um, You do need to include a contingency, but like all, you know, projects, once you get started, you think, and the builders will say, oh, well, why are you doing this? Why don't you do that as well? I think you have to be absolutely ruthless because otherwise you can just eat up all your profit in in a year very, very easily. Um, And actually my dad, who knew nothing about property at all, he was an army officer, his advice to me when I first started work was spend half, save half. And I've actually used that throughout life and also in relation to my properties. Um, so I will sort of spend half as in plough it back in and then um, save half. Or sorry, save half as in plough it back in and spend half. And I found that's quite a good strategy. Sometimes you don't need as much as half, but it's quite a, it's a good discipline. Um, and certainly if you're learning about property management you will have some shocks along the way things that you can't predict because you only know through experience as you know mm-hmm. um, so I think that's it be practical not emotional be absolutely ruthless with your budgeting but do include a contingency and try even if it's not spend half save half try and um, think about whatever proportion you need to spend and what you can save I mean I know you take mortgages on some of yours so presumably that's your saving in effect Mm -hmm. is is paying off mortgage yeah um, which means you get a far higher return if you factor that in but I just didn't want the risk at the stage I was doing it and and I had the luxury of not needing to I suppose Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. brilliant thanks Jan that's been so useful I hope that everybody who's been listening has got some key takeaways from this as well you understand why you're tracking your 
property portfolio performance, why you need to have a property management strategy. Now, if you want to find out any more about Jan, I've put some links to the property asset management book below and also a link to LinkedIn as well. Um, so if you want to find out more about Jan, head on over to there. Thank you so much for listening to us today. If you could rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, that would help me out so much because this means that this podcast goes further and further and more people get access to it. So if you could do that, that helps support me. It helps support other investors who find this podcast and get all of the amazing information that is here. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.